Hey, hey, everyone. This is Kevin Finkel here with our third episode of Magic the Final Frontier, the All Ixalan episode. On this podcast, we discuss Frontier, the non rotating format, which plays cards from Magic 2015 onward. Our hope in this podcast is to be the number one online source for Frontier lovers, keeping you up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. I'm joined today by my co hosts, Matt Murday of our Frontier Grinder from Toronto, and Kevin Hanlon, host of the Untap Open League, an online competitive Frontier League. Tonight, the episode is going to focus on Ixalan, the plane where we are going to go after Nicholas Bolas, ruin the innocence of everyone in Amonkhet with pirates, dinos, and all kinds of fun things. As of the recording of this podcast, we have just yesterday gotten the full set gallery. So Matt and Kevin are going to be bringing up cards that they've seen. They may have already put some testing in as they were spoiled. And we think it's going to have a big impact on the Frontier format. Uh, I also didn't get to choose a Dark Horse card for this week. So I'm going to be throwing in a few curveballs for cards that are hard to evaluate. And I've got my eye on for something that might have an effect. All right, so Kevin, we missed having you on the show last week. Why don't you lead us off with one of the cards that you think is going to be most impactful um, in Frontier from Ixalan? Yeah, so I'm really excited about a red card that is a three-drop, which is a relevant casting cost for Frontier. It's Rampaging Ferocidon. All right, so Rampaging Ferocidon, I'm going to read the card here when you lift it off. When you read it off, that's the two colorless and one red for a 3-3 dinosaur. It's got menace. It's got players can't gain life. And whenever another creature enters the battlefield, the Ferocidon deals one damage to that creature's controller. Okay, so I want to specifically talk about this as an edge over other aggro decks in red aggro decks. Specifically, the way that a lot of other aggro decks counter red right now is to gain life. Right, so White Weenie and the deck that I play, Bant Humans, is uh, really good at gaining an edge over, for example, Atarka Red with uh, with life gain. And so, and Abzan does it as well with Rhinos. Granted, Abzan's creatures are bigger than a three three menace. However, um, I I think that this could be a possible edge in those matchups where sometimes in the late game they feel completely unwinnable, and um, it does it does answer Sahili's combo aspect, which I think is really great in decks that don't run white and don't have access to Thalia Heretic Cathar and don't have access to let's say uh uh what's the what's the two one? Hushwing so, Griff. Hushwing Griff. So we have mentioned that it's good to have ways that are interactive or proactive ways to stop Sahili, and this is one of those. I made this mistake early on is that you don't actually need to have more life than your opponent. I thought that like, Oh, if they've got more life than me, they can still combo off, but you can just redirect from the Ferocidon to their Sahili and it stops the combo flat. Right. Absolutely. And then you're left with two cats and it's like, all right, you've got two, one fours go. So I haven't been super impressed with this card. Uh, primarily because kind of like you guys said, uh, Sahili also, or Sahili just does that job, right? Sahili, sorry, not Sahili. Thalia does that job. We have plenty of ways to stop the combo, but we don't have a lot of ways to stop Sahili's fair game, which I think is the big problem. Uh, secondly, I don't see a lot of red decks really wanting a three drop that's a three three menace. Uh, there's not a ton of healing in the format, uh, and as much as you know, healing can really mess up a Tarka Red. A Tarka Red also just doesn't really want to be drop or are you playing a three drop if, at all you know they want to you know they their hordling outburst is good but it's mostly because of the way that interacts with their go wide strategy their atarka's command that kind of thing so i'm super not not impressed with this card so far okay um i've i've been impressed with it in testing but i definitely can see your perspective on that i do want to touch on one more thing about this card before we move on uh, so mid-range has been kind of edged out of the meta for, I would say, probably since May. And what do you think about running this in, say, like, a Jund deck that's I... trying to grind out Sahili rather than, uh, like, go under it? I think the big problem is Sahili doesn't mind waiting for kill spells. They don't mind waiting for lightning strike, to draw lightning strike, or fumigate, or whatever, right? So it's just... I mean, part of it is also that I think Sahili in the next, uh, in the Ixalan era is going to be a double Gideon deck. 
So when they drop Gideon of the trials and just uptick on your Raptor, what do you do? Yeah, that's a very, very fair point. Um, I also yeah. had a point to bring up about um, the about the Sahili deck with Fumigate. We had a, had a question about this when we were looking at the card, that Fumigate does not work for, uh, positively with Ferocidon. The Ferocidon will leave the battlefield before the life gain occurs, so it will not stop the life gain from Fumigate, which is a big part of Sahili's game plan right now. Right, yeah, and that's really relevant news to me. So I, I was unaware of that interaction prior to our podcast, and that does... Um, that does lower my rating for Ferocidon a little bit. I do think it's relevant, though. All right, I do I mean, think I, it's an interesting card as well. Matt, why don't you take us with another card that you think might be one of the most impactful? So my number five pick here is actually... Uh, shoot, where did I put that? Um, Field of Ruin. Uh, I'm not certain it's going to see play. But All right, so I'm going to read think... the card here. Field of Ruin is the land. It's an uncommon land. It can tap to add one colorless to your mana pool. You can also pay two and tap it and sacrifice it to destroy target non-basic land and opponent controls. And then each player searches their library for a basic land card, puts it onto the battlefield, and shuffles their library. So kind of like Ghost Quarter, but it's it's a little bit more expensive to use. But you get a non you get a basic back as well instead of just the opponent getting a basic. Yeah, I think this feeds into what we were talking about last week with our dark horse pick, uh, Rumina Excavator. And one of the big criticisms we had of the card was that there wasn't like a good payoff, right? There wasn't something that really made the the card worth playing. And this might be it. I'm not sure. It's it's kind of like it was on the tail end of my picks, uh, so I'm not really sure. I, I'm not sure it's quite there, but it's interesting, and it definitely has potential. It, it, it's one of the high potential picks for me in this set. Kevin, do you yeah, have some absolutely. thoughts on this before I have some questions? Yeah, I I want to uh, I want to speak to how it will keep certain decks honest. Like a lot of the very relevant multicolored decks in the format right now are running very fragile mana bases, and when I say fragile, I mean if you hit one of their dual color lands, they might not be able to cast a fumigate. They might not be able to cast some of their double color spells. They might not not be able to cast a dig through time. Um, and so being able to hit those lands might mean some adjustments to mana bases and a little less greed in how decks are set up. That was definitely my first question, is what kind of decks can we really hit with this? Do you think any of the big ones, like Abzan, Sahili, Tarka Red? I think the biggest thing is going to be the four-color decks. So it'll be a lot harder on four color Sahili or just four got color black. Sahili for sure. Yeah, than it will be on on uh, other decks. I also think it's going to be a lot harder on the wedge decks because the land base for the wedge decks is just a lot worse than it is for uh, shards. So Abzan is a great example where we just do not have a lot of great lands in Abzan colors, which makes the mana base a lot trickier. Uh, I think. The reality is that if this takes off, it's really it's really low cost to just say, "All right, I'm going to play a swamp now." You know, like that, that it it's not really going to affect the deck too much. Uh, I think I'm most excited to see it paired with things like Ramanip Excavator and uh, even Mind Sensor. Yeah, absolutely. So even Mind Sensor is the one that stops opponents from searching their library other than the top four cards. So along with the Field of Ruin, you can make them try and search for a card. They won't be able to, and that's an actual land destruction then. Yeah. All right. So I think uh, we've got some cool tools for uh, a hate bear type deck coming in. And I, I'm interested to see if this deck or uh, this uh, land can play a part in that. All right. Well, as long as we're talking about hate bears, I'm going to jump in with one more card. We kind of got another creature that does the same thing that our Hushwing Griff did. We have the Takadli Honor Guard for one colorless and one white. It's a 1-3 human soldier, and creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. So is this better or worse than Hushwing Griff, which is kind of the same thing for one more mana, has flash, and is a 2-1 flyer? I would say it's a more proactive Hushwing Griff. I think I'm more excited about this one just because the kinds of decks it opens up. Uh, the thing that Hate Bear is missing right now is just good two drops, right? A lot of our good Hate Bears are in the three drop slot. Hushwing Griff, Avon Mind Sensor, 
the one that uh, costs no- non-creature spells costs two more to cast. The uh, hypocrite. One more to cost the. Um, yes, it's a. Uh, I'll find it in a second here, but th- that's true. So this is a two drop. You also Thalia as well. Yeah, they're all three drops, right? So being able to ha- now have a hate bear that actually curves into the three drops is a big deal. So I think we're looking at something. We're looking at a new deck forming here. I think. I don't think we're quite there yet again with this card, but I think it's it's going to be a really important piece when that deck takes off. All right, and Vryn, Vryn Wingmare is the one you're talking about, the two colorless one for a 2-1 flyer that non-creature spells cost one more to cast. Basically what the old Thalia was in Modern, but for one more cost, tended to not see any play at all. I uh, I don't think I've actually ever even seen this card. Wow. <laughs> it's not one of the more played hate bears, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that just the three-drop slot is so crowded. It's just it's, it's really saturated, hard. yeah. Yeah. So, Even a Cumble I've seen in some sideboards as well. The uh, one colorless, one white, one black that juggles two damage any time that the opponent costs a non-creature spell. Yeah, yeah. Campbell, console of allocation. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the just having hate bears in the two-drop slot is really important. Right now, I think the deck still loses a little too hard on creature quality, but but I'm excited to see where the deck can go in the future. And this was actually my number three pick for the set. Cool. Oh, all right. Well, then, Matt, why don't you take another one here if uh, I just stole yours? Or, Kevin, do you want to actually go ahead? Yeah, I'd love to take one. All right. Uh, I think we should talk about the most obvious relevant body in this set. I know that we've been focusing on creatures so far, so let's let's stick to that theme for a little bit, and then we can go on to some really cool enchantments. Oh, this, is a, this is a good one. I think I know where you're going with this. Cool. I so without further ado, I want to talk about Ripjaw Raptor, the new four drop green. All right, two green, two colorless is Ripjaw Raptor, the four five for four mana, and he has Enrage, which is every time Ripjaw Raptor is dealt damage, you draw a card. All right. So, as someone who has already gotten a simulated draft in for uh, Ixalan, I want to talk about how Enrage works a little bit. Uh, basically, Enrage is an effect that happens whenever the creature takes damage. And you can force that damage to happen in a variety of ways. Oftentimes, uh, how this mechanic reads is this creature can't be blocked. Your opponents are just going to let the attacks go through. Because the payoff for them blocking your creature for you is higher than them chomping, right? Is is higher than them taking the damage. So. They don't want you to go up on cards in this case, um, and especially in an aggro deck, that's just like, that's the edge that you're keeping over aggro, right? Is that you still have card advantage, you still have answers. You can build up your hand and have it stacked for when you wipe the board. And then another thing that's really, really relevant on Ripjaw Raptor is that it's a 4-5 for 4 which is very, very relevant because it dodges our most popular... I I think it's our most popular board wipe, which is Languish. And it also doesn't get hit by Radiant Flames, and it also doesn't get killed by Kozilek's Return. So it's got... It's just super resilient, and I'm really impressed with that. And then the really, really, really obvious combo potential here is Dramoka's Command, which is a fight spell that has been out of standard for a really long time, and it it just creates a growing threat that is so often a three-for-one. Uh, and another card it pairs with, actually, that just came out with the full spoiler is Pounce, which is one colorless, one green, instant, target creature you control, fights target creature you don't control. Um, obviously, it's a lot worse than Dromoka's Command, but having now a fight spell that's efficiently costed and at instant speed, uh, I think it could see some fringe play in, in Frontier as cop, as probably Dramoka's Command copies 6 to 8. Or uh, 4 to 6, sorry. So much. I, can, I can agree there. So Ripjaw yeah, Raptor is a card I'm really excited about, so I hope you guys... Do you have some decks where you might be able to fit this in? Where can we play so this? I actually want to jump in here a little bit, and I think the card is just a little overrated. It's my number 4 slot still, so I think it's pretty good. But I'm... The obvious comparison is Seed Rhino. Uh, Seed Rhino does a lot of the same things, 
but is a lot more kind of proactive a threat, which is something we talk about a lot, right? It has trample and it has the life swing. So in any Abzan deck, I can't really justify going Ripjaw Raptor over Siege Rhino. I agree. So it kind of, yeah, it, it, and I think Abzan's one of the better Dramokas command decks. So it leaves me in a kind of a weird spot. I could see this filling the role of Siege Rhino and Jund. Uh, and I know that that kind of skips out on the obvious Dramoka's command synergy. Uh, but I think a big part of the issue, or a big part of the advantage of this card is just its defensive bulk, right? You're going to put her on the board, and they're just like, shit, I can't attack into you, right? So you're going to you're gonna have Colligon's command, Liliana, just bring it back over and over every time they kill it. And it's just going to basically create an eventually unwinnable, unwinnable board state. Uh, compared with, I think, a lot of times when you're leaning on Dramoka's command and you don't have that recursion, I think a lot of times, you know, turn four, I'm going to slam Ripjaw Raptor. Uh, on their turn, they crack a fetch and push it, and it did nothing. And I, it was just a blowout, right? Because they killed my four drop for one mana. So I'm a lot less impressed with it than I was initially after having had the chance to play with it and see how poorly it does into situations where it just dies before it can really deal damage. I agree. Uh, so think- um, I think that it's not necessarily something that you need to go all in with all the time. It can be a build around and it does it does well in those build around instances, but it can also just be a really great green body that creates unwinnable situations in the late game. Yeah, definitely playable. I, I don't see it being better than Siege Rhino at all. Alright, so it's it's kind of the Siege Dino, but it'll see some play when Plukronos rotates, right? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, uh, Matt, let's find something you actually are excited about. You've kind of been a little bit hesitant to get all in on any of these dinos we've been talking about. What's your... Well, I guess we already did your number three. Do you have a number two card you think is going to have a big impact? Uh, so the number two pick for me, I'm actually fairly excited about, and I, I know I've talked about it with you guys, so I know it's on your list too. Uh, it's Shaper's Sanctuary. And do you want to read us through that card, Pink? Ooh, yeah, that is a cool card. All right, for one green mana, it is an enchantment. Uh, for whenever a creature you control becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. So, yeah, so what are you excited about for this card? I mean, obviously, this is a sideboard card, right? This isn't going in any main board. That'd be super weird. But as a sideboard card, it's just so efficient. And it. You get a copy of this out, maybe two copies even, from the board, and just I don't see how control beats you anymore. I think you just you control no longer has the ability to run you out of gas, so you just win. So I see creature based strategies bring this in. Uh, basically, anytime they're against a controly kind of lower slower deck. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I have tried this against control in a couple different formats, but particularly in Frontier, and dropping it on turn one is just, like, super grown for them. Because it's it's very relevant that Shaper's Sanctuary is an enchantment for one. Like, it basically, like, you drop this on turn one, they can't counter it unless they went first and can spell pierce it. You know what I mean? Like, it's... So it's like... And so even if the control decks, which many of them don't have a way to interact with enchantments late in the game, are you okay if they end up wasting something like Anguished Unmaking on your Shaper Sanctuary to get rid of it? Absolutely. If they want to take three damage and spend three mana to kill my one drop, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with that too. (laughs) Because I'm just going to drop a Coco in response. Of course. So as far as this card, do you think it's only good against control? Is there some potential against things like... It also affects abilities, so Walking Ballista, Reflector Mage. Is there some potential for it as a card against more mid range strategies? So it doesn't actually ref- affect Reflector Mage. Um, I it's believe only it's activated only... abilities. Yeah. Yeah. It does say um... an ability. You know, so I'll have to look into that. abilities will be, will be included as well. Really? Well, yes. that changes things. How sure are we about this? Uh, I will give it... We, we don't have um, gatherer notes yet, but I am pretty sure on that. Okay, okay. Well, that's pretty good. I still don't think I'm bringing it into, like, Bant uh, matchups. 
because I think you you really want to have like just you want to put them in a position where like nothing they have in their hand can deal with you, right? Whereas Bant could realistically just say, okay, I just want the the reflector mage body, and I'll just drop the drop it, and I'll target something on my team or whatever, you know, and I'll get some extra value out of that. Uh, I actually do have to point out that Reflector Mage is not a May and it is only opponent's creatures, but oh, really? yeah. <laughs> you can keep yep. going. Yes. comes up a lot with Emrakul. It definitely does. Fair enough. I mean, I'm, I'm still not super impressed with it in the band. I still think it's primarily a control only sideboard card uh, because it does cost you a card, right? So they, if they just never use their Reflector Mage, let's say they get one Reflector Mage in hand and they just sit on it. That that's card parity, and it's cost you some tempo. I would say I would go with it against grindier things as well. Um, like I really like it against Gideon, for example, specifically three man and Gideon, Gideon of the Trials. I think that making them pay to plus their Gideon on your creature is pretty great. That is interesting. I think I think the play there is then they just start targeting lands. Like, this target permanent, right? They just stop yeah. targeting your creatures, and it just never does anything. So you've spent a card to basically say, you can't prevent the damage of my creature, which I think is, it's kind of, it's, it's soft. It's not, it's not super impressive. No, I mean, typically with those decks, I want to be going under them anyway, but... Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps push some damage through, but I feel like, you know, look at it this way. If you just played a one-drop, you would you would push damage through the same way, right? So if you play a Thraben Inspector, you're right. now gaining card advantage instead, and you're having an extra body to push through that Gideon activation anyway. Yeah, I definitely okay. agree. So I, I think it is a, a control of... sideboard card. So we're going to keep moving because we have a lot of cards to discuss here. Kevin, why don't you take it away with uh, another card that you think is on your top five? All right, cool. Um, So I'm going to go right into my number one pick for the set. All right. Uh, so I think we should talk about Opt. Yeah. yeah, It's my number one pick as well. It's just a super good card. Oh my god. It's a cantrip for one blue mana. It is an instant. You scry one, and then you draw a card. Yeah, this is, so... this is a reprint for those who don't know. It's a card that was not in Modern previously, though. We don't care too much about that. We're just about Frontier there. But, oh my god, Opt. Oh my god. Like, we haven't had a cantrip like this in the format. I just want to say that really quick. Like, we haven't had a cantrip that was this relevant in the format yet. Absolutely. It really, really, really lends so much to the decks that just like to play land go. Because you always have something to do on the end step. Almost any blue deck really has has a good use for this, to be honest. A lot of people really underestimate or, or don't maybe understand the power of uh, cantrips for one mana that are attached to card selection. I want this in Jeskai. You know, like, I, I want to be triggering prowess off this. It, it's a major kind of keystone of all the Turbo Xerox decks across all the older formats, uh, which I think is, is really relevant now that we finally have that option in Frontier as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it essentially lets you run less cards in your deck. And it and also fills up your graveyard for Delve. Yeah, one of the things I'm actually really excited about uh, Opt for is uh, the Delve Fatties. So like Tassiger and Gurmog Angler. Yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm, I'm not as impressed with uh, Delve beside the draw cards. So like Take <laughs> Your Time and Treasure Cruise. Yes, it's good. But I find usually in the early turns, you want to be interacting or kind of setting up your board or setting up whatever your win conditions are um, or, or kind of stopping the bad guys from winning. Whereas I think being Stop. able to cast, yeah, but being <laughs> able to, uh, being able to just drop that turn three Tassiger is really big, right? Or or turn four Tassiger and a three drop. It's just the the, the difference between uh, the earlier delve creatures and the earlier delve draw spells aren't as important, right? Because the draw spells you can kind of do whenever as you're kind of looking to close out the game and refuel. Well, the the benefit of the Delve creatures is that they just, they come down ahead of curve, basically. And I think it's worth noting that it's cards, these cantrips, these cheap cantrips that really got Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time banned in modern and in older formats. Yep, absolutely. 
So do you have anything more to say about Opt? I know that, uh, Matt, last week we were talking about a Thing in the Ice deck that you were looking at. Does this just seem like the perfect fit for that deck? I mean, yeah, absolutely, right? Uh, I, I don't really have much else to say. It's pretty obviously good there, so I'm not really sure where to take that other than, yeah, it's, it's a great uh, fit for sure, and I, I've been running it, absolutely. I think it's great in control. I think it's great in tempo. I don't know how many blue contr- or sorry blue aggro decks there are. Oh, there's Jeskai. I think it's great in Jeskai as well, but I think that's arguably a tempo deck. So, I, I think with this set, we may be getting enough cards for Temer aggro to really take off. I'm not sure yet if Opt is a part of that or not. Uh, we'll have to see how it pans out. You know, so as long as you guys are talking about reprints and you're talking about cheap cards for a blue aggro deck, I got to bring up one more, which is Favorable Wins. Neither of you guys has mentioned it yet, and it's a card I'm really excited about. It's something that has kind of been fringe and modern almost. It's one blue, one colorless, an enchantment, and all creatures with flying you control get plus one, plus one. Can you see any place that we could really see this? I mean, the Jeskai Flyers deck. Have you guys so, looked at this card at all? I have, and it's it's on my honorable mentions list. I did Same. I did like test it out a bit in Jeskai Flyers, and I what I ended up finding was that it just it wasn't often worth it because I just couldn't flood the board. You know, like it's not like mono white humans or uh, a Tarka red where you just go super wide. The deck really relies on just having those tempo elements, and then just all my creatures are flying, so you can't block. <laughs> Uh, so I found oftentimes I would just get shot off the board when I played this because it's just it's card disadvantage, right? So I have less creatures that they have to shoot, and basically by shooting those creatures, they've made me waste a card. So question: What yep. do you think about what do you think about this card in the late game instead of playing it on turn two? I don't necessarily think it's a strong turn two play, but considering that like. I don't know, the spiciest thing that I've seen in Jeskai Flyers lately has been using Vigilance creatures for Stoke the Flames. So what if I have two red up and I pay two for favorable wins, I swing for four, and then I Stoke the Flames you for four? I mean, that could be good, but it's kind of out of context, right? Uh, I think if you're getting to the late game as Jeskai Flyers, you've lost the game. Right, I think I think that's already assuming too much. It, okay, why would you? Yeah, like basically, in order for uh, favorable wins to be worth its casting cost, you have to have three creatures on the board that can make use of it. And I yeah, basically I found that even at you know being able to say it's three creatures or sorry three power worth of damage, uh, it, it it hasn't. It, it kind of seems like wishful thinking a lot of the time in the testing I've played. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong because I love this card. I think it's it's really cool. And I was really hopeful uh, Jeskai Flyers is going to take off with this card. But in my testing, it just hasn't been there. Yeah, um, I, I haven't gotten around to testing it yet. I know that the obvious, obvious comparison for me is like you would compare it to Thalia's Lieutenant, right? Yeah. Where it brings in way more power than you're paying for often. And then yep. the the thing that Thalia's Lieutenant does better is that every time that you're casting another human spell, you have more attackable damage that you're going in with. Exactly. Uh, and I guess another part, another card that kind of put me off this card that's actually in this set, set as well is Chart of Course. I, I think I'd rather just spend the mana on chart of course than I would on this. So chart of course, that's another blue tempo spell that we're getting for one blue and one colorless with raid raid being, if you attack with a creature this turn and it's a sorcery that draws you two cards. Uh, if you attack with a creature, then you, if you, sorry, if you did not attack with a creature, then you discard a card. So this is a card that I would love to see take team or aggro. Stop. And, and that's kind of what I was, what I was hinting at earlier when I said team or aggro is getting some tools. I think this might be it. I, I'm not 100% sure. T- I haven't had the chance to ch- test Teamer yet. But it, it seems like a, this is the kind of payoff they were looking for. And and probably the most mana-efficient two-for-one in the format, I would think. Just because it, it's a straight two-for-one, and it only costs two mana. And, like, it's so rare these days for 
for wizards to print a two mana draw spell. You know what I mean? Like it's it's so significant. Like blue is so good in this format. I can't believe it because like it it's just been the worst color in so many sets for a long time running, and I I was starting to have doubts about it. <laughs> All right. Well, could you go away with another uh, new card that may be? I think I know what might be still on your list. Might be another blue card. But Kevin, do you want to take us off with another card that you're interested in from Exila? It would be my pleasure to talk about Spell Pierce. Oh, yes, Spell Pierce. All right, so this is yet another reprint, but another great blue tempo spell. So Spell Pierce is one blue mana for an instant. Counter-target non-creature spell, unless its controller pays two. So Spell Pierce and Opt being in the same set, is it's just got me over the moon right now. At, because at common. At common! Like, it, there's... Okay, I leave up one blue mana, and I pass the turn... Infinite possibilities. What can happen? I'm so excited. Like this, this could. This is such a great tempo card, and it can really set you over the edge and punish an opponent for stumbling. Like for example, I'm looking at the turns where my opponent has been fishing for lands so they can finally drop that fat languish or fumigate, and I I punish their man is stumbling. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I definitely think I, it has a place in uh, tempo decks. I'm not really sold on too much else. Uh, initially, I thought this might be the card Sahili wanted to uh, kind of defend the combo main deck, but I was finding it just gets stuck in my hand too often. Uh, yeah, for they sure. just yeah they just have the mana right. Uh, and, oh. and secondly, the fact that it's basically a one mana cheaper negate, uh, but obviously the the drawback of having uh, they can just pay two mana, right? Oh, come on, but it's spell pierce. You can't be excited about spell pierce now. I am. I, thought this I am, I am definitely excited about it. about spell pierce. I just right. <laughs> I have to I have to temper expectations, right? You, you, I don't know that I would be running more than one of main board uh, because it is basically it's the same effect as negate, right? And then I might have more in the sideboard uh, depending on the matchup. So that is something that Kevin was kind of saying that it's a great tempo card, but you don't think this is a control card, something you'd be playing instead of negate. Yeah, I think this is a this is a tempo aggro card for sure. Agree. All right, Matt, uh, Kevin, do you have any more on your top five that we didn't get to? Otherwise, I know you guys both had some honorable mentions, some other maybe cards that you're really interested in here. Um, I think we should talk about a card that could put another list in our tier one. All right, I'm interested in that. Uh, and that's Growing Rights of the Itlamok. All right, so that is this is one of the flip enchantments that came from this set. So there was a cycle of these in each color. Each of them is a legendary enchantment. This one is for two colors and one green. When it enters the battlefield, you can look at the top four cards of your library, reveal a creature card from there, and put it in your hand, then put the rest in your bottom. Uh, and at the beginning of your end step, if you control four or more creatures, you flip it and you transform it into Itlamok Cradle of the Sun, which is literally Gaia's Cradle. Actually, better than Gaia's Cradle, because better you can than tap Gaia's it for green cradle. mana. <laughs> you can tap it for green mana, or you can tap it to add one green mana to your mana pool for each creature you control, which is the <laughs> Gaia's Cradle effect. This card so, definitely turned a lot of heads. What, what do you think about it? I think it's amazing in Elves. And I know that one of our League members has been really pushing Elves um, alongside Thomas Snodgrass, our... Uh, our best author and a firm supporter of this show. Uh, so yeah, I, I see amazing amounts of advantage coming out of this because elves is such a creature dense deck. So first off, you don't mind dropping this for three because you're probably still going to have enough mana to cast the creature that you get, which could be like a Dwine in elite or something of that nature to put you even further ahead on board. And then you're using that to chain into things like uh, Court of Calling and Collected Company, obviously. And it it's just, you want to be doing that almost every turn in this deck, you know what I mean? Like, just getting more and more elves and comboing off so that you can just have huge uh, Shaman of the Packs for that payoff. Or going wide and attacking for a lot of damage with, um, I can't remember the gal's name, the 3-4. With uh, Dwynen herself. Yeah, Dwynen. So, right, so, 
So Kevin sounds really excited about that card. Let me guess. Matt, do you have something negative to say about it? (laughs) (laughs) You got me pegged, Fink. Um, I was really excited when I misread this card, and I thought it was two mana. At at three mana, I'm, I'm a lot more reserved about it. Basically, I guess at three mana, to me, the payoff of all that extra mana you gain, there's just not a way to use it properly right now. Uh, if elves had a better mana dump, I might be a little more excited about it. Uh, especially because as is, elves doesn't have a problem producing mana, right? The producing mana is not the place that elves need help. Needs help. El- elves think, need. Hey, go ahead. I think specifically why I like this in elves is because of both sides of it. Because, as you said, Elves doesn't have a problem producing mana. In fact, you're often left with excess of mana at the end of the turn. Like, you're playing inefficiently in Elves right now. And so you have all of these Elvish Mystics just kind of sitting there doing nothing. And this gives you something to spend your mana on with a massive payoff of additional mana. And you'll probably have a ton of, like, things in your hand such as Collected companies, such as, uh, yeah, uh, Abbey, such as... So West, um, you're talking about Westvale Abbey in the uh, Elves, which is something common, that land that you can pay five, sack five creatures, and you turn it into this 9-7 lifelink, flying, trample, haste. Pretty much just unstoppable. Yeah, indestructible. I don't think it's trample. Just unstoppable creature against a lot of decks. Right. Yeah, I just... I don't see, again, the payoff of all that extra mana isn't fantastic given that they already have the mana to do what they need to do, right? Uh, I looked very briefly at playing this alongside uh, Vanquisher's Banner, which is, oh, five, which is five mana artifact. Uh, choose a creature type as it enters the battlefield. Creatures of the chosen type get plus one, plus one. And whenever you cast a creature of that type, draw a card. Uh, I think five mana is a little too heavy for that uh, in the end. But but the idea was kind of that by flipping this, you'd be able to just dump your hand and draw a whole bunch of cards while uh, Vanquisher's Banner actually made your tiny little elves relevant, uh, which is a problem I have with elves a lot of the time, is that it's really good at just going super wide, just floods the board. Uh, but at the end of the day, most of their creatures are just too small to be relevant into whatever the opposing board is, and they have to lean really hard on Shaman of the Pack. All right, so for once, I think I actually do agree with uh, Matt, despite me making a joke there. Uh, I haven't had much success with this card either, even though I haven't tried in Elves yet. So I'll try that out for you sometime, Kevin. Uh, let's cool. move on. Do you have any other cards kind of in your top five or any uh, anything that you think deserves a special mention, even if we haven't talked about it yet? Uh, there's, a, there's quite a few cards I have a special mention. We've done my top five already, though. Uh, yeah, same. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think in that case, I might bring up one that it's kind of a gimme because we all know it's going to have a big effect. The new land cycle that came out, it's a, another reprint, but it's a land cycle that they're all in the allied colors. And when they come into play, if you control a land of the two allied of one of the two allied colors, it comes in untapped. So for example, drowned catacomb, if you control a swamp or an island, it's untapped and it produces blue or black. Yeah. yeah so nope. these are. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. All right, I'll go. Um, so these are uh, these are referred to as check lands a lot in the player base. Uh, they're fantastic. I'm really really excited about them, specifically in shard colors. It lets you cut down a lot on tango lands, and I know that a lot of the way that uh, shards have been punished lately is having lands come in tapped. So being able to run less tapped lands is always an advantage because it gives you more to do with it. It lets you play on curve. So, And the great thing here is that those Tango lands, the ones from Battle from Zendikar that enter untapped if you control two or more basics, those also have the land type, so they count as an island or a swamp for this. Yeah, so it pairs with those really well, which is awesome. Uh, and honestly, like I, I've been talking with one of our semi-finalists in the league about it. Uh, I... I would love to run three to seven of these in a shard deck. Three to seven seems crazy to me. Uh, I think the big thing here is that uh, allied land bases are already really strong. Really strong, right? Uh, We have a ton of good land in allied (coughs) colors. 
so like just a for for me, I don't think I would see more than one or two lands per deck. And it's definitely a nice addition, but those colors aren't the ones struggling, right? I'd I'd be way more excited to see uh, an enemy check land reprint because uh, that would really open things up uh, for the enemy color wedges. Yeah, I agree that we need a better enemy land cycle for sure. Um, but I, I definitely don't. I think three to seven is a lot for for this effect. Okay, all right. I've got um, so that that was my one that I want to jump in. But uh, you guys did have some honorable mentions, so why don't you go <laughs> ahead with uh, another one here, Matt? Uh, so one of my honorable mentions is Ruin Raider. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's good enough as a three two for three, but that effect is is potent, right? It's one of the best uh, bad bobs we've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> this will be one of the first pirates we've talked about. Ruin Raider is two colors and one black for a three two orc pirate. It has raid at the beginning of your end step. If you attack with a creature this turn, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You lose life equal to the card's converted mana cost. And this happens each turn. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of, it's pretty similar to the uh, Menace card from uh, Aether Revolt. The uh, two drop. I can't recall its name. So that one, the Glintsleeve Siphoner, when it attacked... When it enters the battlefield or attack, you get an energy, and then when you attack, you can spend two energy to draw a card and pay at one the beginning of your upkeep. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, that's right. Yeah. So this obviously costs another mana, which which makes me a little uh, concerned about it. But it also doesn't have the drawback of having to be tied to the parasitic uh, energy mechanic, right? So not having uh, having to rely on that energy makes it a lot more self-sufficient, which means maybe it'll see play in a few more decks than Glint Sleeve Siphoner did. Kevin, have you looked at this card for any decks yet? I think it might be good in Jund decks that aren't running Emrakul or Emrakuler, however you guys pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, that, I, w- I would be looking at more of a, an aggressive Jund deck with that, for sure. Kind of in, st- in the style of Abzan Aggro, maybe yeah. backed up by... Uh, what I was talking about with the uh, Raptor earlier, Ripjaw Raptor. Yeah, Ripjaw Raptor, Rune Raider, both of those seem really good. You could Liliana's for your Planeswalker advantage, the way that um, you could do like Liliana Tribal now. So you could run both Liliana the Last Hope and Liliana Death's Majesty. And both of those are really, really good for Jund's strategy. Jund has always been really, really big on Graveyard Recursion. And... uh, yeah, th- this this plays right into that. Into that, I do not think it fits in Jund Turbo Emrakul. Just no, because not at all. You don't want to hit think... thirteen off of this. Oh man, that would oh, GG. You know, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and the one big thing that I've had a lot of people point out that this is different from Dark Confidant, which is Bob, is that this happens at the end of your turn, so you can get this card on your very first turn. You play him. Yeah, absolutely, and that is definitely an advantage. Um... Granted, it requires you to continue attacking. So it, this is for an aggro deck. Make no mistake. All right, definitely. All right, that was just Matt. But Kevin, do you have any more honorable mentions, cards you want to talk about here? Yeah, um, since we've been talking a little bit about the possible emergence of team or aggro, I do want to talk about Deep Root Champion. Uh, ah, all right. So this is a card I was hoping people would bring up because I think even when the that first rare sheet was spoiled, I had people I had people just whispering like, "Oh, Deep Root Champion is that going to go right in a Tarka Red?" Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's got that prowess right. ability, but even better. So yeah, Deep Root Champion, <laughs> it's one colorless, one green for a one-one Merfolk Shaman, and whenever you cast any non-creature spell, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. Yeah, so I I really really like this again uh, with Dramoka's command, but I think that's a little too obvious. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, making a 3-3 and having it kill something seems seems decent, right? Um, you know what so, sounds better than that, though? What sounds any, better Any other green 2-drop still being a 3-3 <laughs> and having <laughs> other bonuses. It's true. Um, I I think, yeah, it's the fact that it comes in as a 1-1 is a little overwhelming, but I do think that this is waiting for an application. Now, do you think that a Tarka Red could be that application, or is it just not at all for that deck? I don't think it's for a Tarka Red. I think it's for Teamer. I think you're tempoing out with this deck. I don't know. Do you guys have any predictions how what I think about this card? 
<laughs> I think you think it's garbage. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is this is one of the worst cards we've looked at today. It's really bad. Like the obvious comparison to me is uh Mana Gorge or Hydra, which costs one more mana, admittedly, uh, but it also activates on any spell cast by any player. And it just even in the top uh green black scales decks, it doesn't see play. Uh, this is just you have to really do things that green doesn't want to do, I think, to make this card go off. And I think there are better ways to get big creatures in green uh, where you don't have that same level of investment, especially because in the kind of deck that can affordably run this, it's basically, uh, sorry, um, got distracted by chat here. Uh, In the kind of deck that can run this, you really have to kind of be all in on this. Uh, this card because you're not playing other creatures in order to turn in order to turn on uh this guy's benefit right so you know i drop him turn two spend the next two or three turns building him into a monster and then he gets pushed and then what you know yeah i i know so you're saying it uh you're, you're essentially saying it dies to removal yes but more than it dies to removal <laughs> it's more it's more than that though right because like it's a card you have to invest in right you're not just you know slamming the board with a tarmogoy for a grim flare and then getting it no i agree yeah you're you're slamming the board with this card and then dumping like investing your whole deck building style and all the cards you're playing into making him big and then he gets pushed right Mm -hmm. right so i okay go ahead no, yeah, I'm going to move us forward. You know, we've got a few more. I've, and again, we've got maybe three or four more cards we definitely want to talk about. So one that I've had people tell me they want us to talk about, because I think a lot of the first impact is like, oh, this is going to be a card that's going to really help Frontier. And that's Sorceress Spyglass, the artifact for two mana. As it enters the battlefield, you look at an opponent's hand, and then you choose a card, any card name. It doesn't have to be in their hand, just any card name. And then an activated abilities of sources with the chosen name can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. So that's Planeswalkers, so that's Fetchlands, that's Walking Ballista. This sounds like a lot of things in Frontier that it would hit. Have you guys started testing with this card? Do you think it's going to make a big impact? So since you just trashed a card, can I go ahead and take this one, Matt? (laughs) Yeah, you got this. (laughs) All right, so I am of the firm opinion right now, after a lot of testing in the last three weeks, um, it's kind of... It's it's really, really a hot time for the Untap Open League right now, because Season 1 is over... Um, we'll talk about the champion in a little bit, but everyone's really, really, really heavy on testing right now. And I find that turn two is the most important turn in Frontier. So Absolutely. You're wasting your most important turn looking at my hand. And to me, that's that's just... I, I don't know what to say to that other than, like, fine. <laughs> like, you're not even taking a card out of my hand. I'll just play my other cards. And then, like, so often, it doesn't even matter that I can't use that card. Like, what, you're gonna you're gonna hit my walking ballista, that's fine. Um, I'll just start putting it into the graveyard for zero to trigger my delirium. You know what I mean? Like I was I was already doing it for that. So it's like I This is such a bad card in a lot of decks to me. Matt, have you had the same opinion on this card? I absolutely, a hundred percent. The big thing is people want to use it to fight Sahili, but the real problem with Sahili is that Sahili's fair game is just really good. They're going to really go long, good. yeah, really. They're going to go long, probably better than you. So if you are trading a card to not like trade a card to me to shut down the combo, you're doing it a lot of times before I've even played anything right so you're not actually costing me anything and if you've done it after i've played my planeswalkers you're actually still losing value on it right because i've gotten value out of those cards already so i just i don't see this being the kind of wonderful uh answer that a lot of players think it will be at one mana it would have been really good because you know on the play oh. you just you slam <laughs> yeah, it and shut down all their fetch lands right but at one just, minute at one no, mana, one mana this is better, better than Piping Needle. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but at two mana, it's just it's too late to shut down their land base, right? So I, I'm not, I'm not impressed with it at all. Now, on the other hand, one 
One deck I do need to talk about is Marvel. Do you think that this card could be brought in if Marvel does start to become big? I know you've kind of said that it's sort of the second best combo deck if Cat wasn't doing such a good job at comboing. I think it does do a slightly better job of fighting Marvel than it does Sahili. Yeah, but I at agree. the same time, I think I think my problem with it is kind of the problem I have with Solemnity, which still shuts off Marvel and probably shuts it off even harder. Right. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing is is that the kind of decks that are going to beat Marvel are going to be aggro decks anyway, right? So what do you you're going to waste your your turn two not playing a threat? I think I'd rather just go for the race most of the time because you're not going to you're not they're, eventually they're going to hard cast Emrakul or uh Big Chandra or whatever, you know? Like they're they have threats in their deck that they can hard cast. So Right, and they have a backup plan. Oftentimes these days when I'm seeing decks they're running Shrine of the Forsaken Gods so that they have methods to hard cast an Ulamog. By the way, I just Ulamog your Sorcerer's Spyglass. <laughs> so I'm going to marvel out of an Amrakul now. You know what I mean? All right, guys, yeah. we got time for maybe one or two more cards. So maybe if each of you have one more you want to talk about, and then we'll do a quick recap of what you guys had on your Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, there's one, or, uh, this isn't one card per se, but it's kind of a group of cards that were spoiled on the very last day of spoilers. And that's the pirate payoff spells, like the instants and sorceries they got. Uh, they seem really strong. I don't know that pirates are there as a tribe, but if they were going to be there in the future, it would be because these spells are just really strong spells. Okay. So let me bring up a couple examples of those. You're talking about things like the, the one that brings them back to your hand and you also um here give me one second here yeah i'm sorry i didn't prepare the uh, names of these cards it was kind of last minute yeah i was trying to look up the names okay so siren ruse is the one i was talking about for one blue and a colorless it's an instant that you exile this creature you control return it to the battlefield under your control and if it was a pirate you draw a card yeah and um, that's one mana right and that's two mana oh two mana or uh, march of the drowned so it's one black choose one Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand, or return two target pirate cards from your graveyard to your hand. At one mana for pirates, that's that's a big swing. Yeah, we were just talking about two mana for a card that gives you card advantage. This is one mana card advantage, which is pretty much unheard of for Frontier. Yeah, it is obviously uh, limited to pirates, but but it might in the future when we have some better pirates printed into Frontier uh, make the difference. Yeah, I uh, I think that depending like a lot of how a a lot of the strength of these new tribes depends on how powerful and what kind of power level we see in sorry this sentence isn't making sense uh no i think that they're doing fine the power level of rivals of ixalan vastly affects how powerful pirates and dinosaurs can be in frontier well i don't know i think we'd need a lot for each either of those tribes to really step up in frontier like i think wizards would have to break standard with with the kind of deck we'd have to see uh, just because frontier is such a so much more powerful by nature but I, i'm thinking you know uh, a year two years three years down the road we, you know we might get little sprinkles of pirates and over time that can add up to a real pirate deck uh, probably on the backs of of these two cards in particular but, but what I hear you saying is that dinosaurs are already there. They're already a great trap, right? Dinosaurs is awful. <laughs> I know we've already had this conversation offside of the uh, podcast, but I, I guess maybe I'll bring it up because we were talking before the show that, oh, there really aren't any good mythics. There's so many great cards in this set, but where, where are the great mythics? And the only one I said that, oh, what about Carnage Tyrant? It's a 7-6 six for 6 mana, and it can't be countered. It's got Trample, so you can't block it. It's got Hexproof, so you can't kill it. How do you interact with this thing? Is there anywhere that we're going to get to see this card? There, I would rather run Shaper's Sanctuary as an control. That that's the big thing. Like it's it's not a terrible control sideboard card, but the reality is that Shaper's Sanctuary does that sideboard slot a lot more efficiently. Is is probably what I would say about that. All right, that's understandable. All right, um, I guess that Kevin, do you have one more card you want to talk about before we end the show? Sure, yeah. Um, we're being asked about it, so I'll go ahead and bring it up. Surprise is pretty great. Um I've so this is much this is part of the same cycle as Growing Rights of Itlamok. Yeah, it's, so this is another legendary enchantment for a blue and a colorless. 
This one, when it, uh, it doesn't do anything when it enters the battlefield, but at your upkeep, you can look at the top card of your library, and then you can put it in your graveyard if you want to. And then if you have seven more, seven or more cards in your graveyard, you transform it. It's then a legendary land that produces blue mana, or you can pay two and a blue, tap it, look at the top four cards of your library. You can reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among those and put it into your hand. So I've um, I've been up against a control list that was playing this, and it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> like they, I dropped my turn one Shaper's Sanctuary. They dropped their turn two Search for Ezcanta, and all of a sudden it was like this really awkward control race where they were just turning on Delve a lot, and like its combo potential with Opt is just huge because mm-hmm. you're just dumping spells into your graveyard. And uh, it's really, really good with Jace Friend's Prodigy, and it, it it's just it's like running it's like running a fifth and sixth Jace. I'm just really, really impressed with it, and um, yeah, uh, not much more to say about it. It's card advantage out the wazoo. So oh, I, I still guess... have questions. But... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. So I guess my issue with this card is it is a lot like <laughs> Jace, right? And when are you going to want to play this over Jace? Uh, we kind of talked about earlier how turn two is probably the most important turn. And it, as a control deck, you're telling me you want to tap out at sorcery speed on turn two? Uh, that In a way that doesn't actually affect the board? It, it, seem, it seems ambitious to me. Okay, so yeah, I can see that. that. That was the first question I was going to have. Is, is this better than Jace? Is this a replacement for Jace? Or is this... Him and Jace are best friends. We're going to have them in the same decks. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have five cards in the graveyard, seven cards, and just go crazy. I like it with Jace. I'm I'm skeptical. I it's not a terrible card. Like I don't get me wrong. I don't think I'm not looking at this and being like, oh my god, why are they? You know why why do they like this card? I just I think it's probably not what I want to be doing as control. I have enough ways to fill the graveyard. Generally speaking. Uh, so that I can use my uh, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise and, you know, my, my real card advantage spells. Uh, especially a lot of control decks tend to run uh, Gearhawks, right? So they want to Dig Through Time and then Gearhawk flashing it back. Like, the the long game isn't a problem for control. The early game is the problem. Getting, uh, stopping those aggro decks from going under them. So yeah. this this doesn't help you with that, right? This is just... This, this I would say, is actively bad into the decks that are trying to go under you, which, which is my main problem with it. Now, since I have tested this a little bit, I want to counterpoint on one thing that is a little bit underlooked on this card, is that when it transforms, it's ramping you mana. So you can get to your Gear Hulk on turn 5, which maybe, you, as a control deck, you didn't get to turn 6 to play your Gear Hulk previously. Does that make it any better for you? I think again. I think I think five mana is still asking too much. Uh, if you're going to die to a Tarka Red on turn six anyway, like if you're not getting to your Gear Hulk, this isn't going to save you, right? Because Gear Hulk's not going to save you against a Tarka Red or like any deck that has more than a couple creatures. So you know, Kalidus might save you, right? But that's. I mean, I guess if you're going for the turn three Kalidus, but if you're playing this on turn two, are you really going to flip it on turn three? No. Not usually, right? Like, maybe, but it seems, again, it seems ambitious. That's my only problem. Again, it's just, this is not the card you want into an aggro deck, or into an aggro list. Maybe into a mid-range list, where you can, uh, you know, the the car, the car, recurrable card advantage really matters, but I, I'm so far unenthused. Okay, guys, that's been really great. I think that we've covered a lot of the cards we're most interested in seeing where they may or may not have an impact in Ixalan. Can you quick help us recap by going over what you had had on your sort of top five? Maybe give one honorable mention on top of your top five. Sure. Uh, Number five for me was Field of Rune. Uh, Number four, Ripjaw Raptor. Number three, Takatli Honor Guard. Number two, Shaper's Sanctuary. Number one, Opt, and for honorable mention, I'm going to mention the uh, Allied Checklands, Chart of Course, and Pounce. Yes. All right. You didn't hit mine. Cool. <coughs> All right. Um, so for my top five, unless we wanted to talk about Matt's a little bit more. No, please go ahead. All right. So for my top five, I have at number five, Growing Rights of Illamok. At number four, I have Spell Pierce. 
At number three, I have Rampaging Ferocidon. I'd probably adjust to that now that we have heard all of the rulings. Um, at number two, I have Shaper's Sanctuary. And at number one, wait, I missed one. Uh, I didn't have Takatli Honor Guard. I had um, Ripjaw Raptor. No, that's fine. Okay. And, and then, then number, number, one? number one was Opt. Oh, My honorable mention is going to be the uh, the dinosaur that is also a scavenging ooze. Uh, looking for yeah, that's, so that's one we didn't get a chance to mention. That was the Death Gord Scavenger, the two colorless, two green. That's another dinosaur for that's a three two. When it enters a battlefield, you can exile target card from a graveyard. And if it's a creature card, you gain two life. If it's a non-creature card, it gets plus one plus one until the end of turn. So this is another targeted graveyard hate. It gains you some life against a Tarka Red. It has some cool effects that we, we didn't really get to talk about it, but I think there's a lot there. So I think that this is a dark horse in the metagame. I think that a lot of the time, especially in modern, scavenging news gets underestimated, and people will start cutting it from decks. And then Dredge starts doing really, really well, just as like a, a corner case that's in a different meta. So, so I think that this is something that comes and goes from lists and just has cases where it's really, really good. For example, um, I, I think that I want it as my graveyard hate in a collected company deck. It's probably a sideboard card. I wouldn't main deck it, but I want to be, I want to be running it in a deck that is really, really emphatical on creatures and wants to be, proactive and attacking and this likes to attack and it gains life and it hits graveyard and that's really good for me and you don't want to be using a non-creature spell in your collective company list because then you're lowering your chances of hitting two creatures correct yeah it it uh it would how do i put this dilute your engine if you say put in like a uh, tormod script all right matt do you have any comments on our final dinosaur otherwise i'm going to try and wrap up the show here yeah i mean for me, it's just the three-drop slot is just so crowded at this point that I have a lot of trouble justifying um, cards that don't... Like, if this isn't a tireless tracker, right? This isn't a Renegade Rally or Thalia. It, it can be okay as a sideboard card, uh, certainly into, like, uh, Turbo <coughs> Turbo Emicool, probably. Uh, yeah. But I, I think the real advantage of Ooze is that it's in the two-drop slot, uh, which is really important. Uh, as I, as I kind of mentioned earlier with the Cotley Honor Guard, we just don't have that much, that many good two drops right now, right? It's a, it's a slot that's kind of lacking, whereas we have so much competition in the three drop slot in Frontier that it's just, it's really hard to justify new three drops that aren't just massive, you know? So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, beyond that, like, I, I think it's not bad. It's just, it, it's another three drop that probably doesn't compete with the best three drops in the format. No, I mean, I definitely prefer Tracker in the main game. For sure, like game one, I'm running tracker, but uh, right, as guys. as graveyard hate, I think it's solid. All right, guys, this has really been an awesome show. I think I've had fun learning about Ixalan and some of the cards that I'm excited to see the next big tournaments coming up. See what if these cards are going to start showing up, really shaping the meta a little bit. See if our top eight from last week changes at all. Um, as far as I just want to talk a little bit about current events in the frontier world. We finally had a winner in our Untapped Open League that we want to give a shout-out to, to Jesse Vuati on Mardu Vehicles won that. Um, we also want to bring up that Season 2 signups are going to be starting, so if you're somewhere that Frontier doesn't see a lot of play, feel free to join us online. We're going to be playing all next month, all the next couple months, and it's a great competitive league, a place to try out some decks, see what's really going on in Frontier. <clears throat> um, we also wanted to mention that there was the Toronto event this last weekend. Uh, Matt ended up swapping from the list he was talking about last week, but we may get a chance to mention some winners from that later on. The uh, the winning list was another Atarka Red list. So hopefully in the next cast, we can talk a little bit about those winning decks from the Untap Open League, which we've been dying to talk about. We want to talk a little bit about that tournament and any other big Japan tournaments that have gone on since then. Um, but feel free to let us know if you want to hear about any more cards, if there's anything else interesting you and Frontier. You can add us at MTG Frontier on Twitter or MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram. Join us on our Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash mtg final frontier. And you can also find our Discord there, which is a great way to talk to us in person. 
guys, do you have anything to say? I want to thank you both for being on this show. I want to thank our producers as always, but uh, please go ahead and say anything else before we sign off for tonight. No, I'm good. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. It's been great. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, and I hope to see many of you in our Untap Open League Season 2. All right, you heard it here first. You should be playing dinosaurs, right? That's 100% <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not that's not the message of this show. But no, as Definitely always, play dinosaurs. As always, for everyone play else. Play dinosaurs so I can beat you. We look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier Information Online, your final frontier, and signing off.